everybody, and welcome to another episode of Battleground Games and Hobbies Behind the Shield, our podcast where we talk about what's going on at your local Battleground Games and Hobbies, and what's going on in the world of board games, card games, miniature war games, and role-playing games. I'm Andrew, and I am one of your hosts, and with me today is... Amanda, hi. Amanda's back. And excuse me if I sniffle a little bit, I am recovering from a cold, but I... Don't want to miss an episode, especially since we're having a lot of fun with this month. We decided that this month we're going to do recommendations for gift purchasing. So if you are looking to get something for your gamer friend and need some advice on what to purchase, we're going to try and offer you some of that advice. Um, last week, I talked about board games and how to make some board game recommendation purchases. I'm, I'm legit really annoyed that you did that without me. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Um, things you, things got tight in terms of uh, yeah. timing and stuff, and I we didn't get to have Amanda on that one. Do you have any board game recommendations that you want to, on the spur of the moment with no preparation yeah, yeah. whatsoever? Don't give, me, don't give me any time to prep. Don't give me any time to think. Um, Fallout New California. Yeah, yeah. I actually on the that podcast was predictable. on the podcast I said Amanda is going to want to talk about Fallout New California. Maybe she'll talk about that later. But I, I'll, I'll give a, for I'll today, later. for today's podcast, we're going to talk about uh, collectible card games because card games are huge, and folks probably want some recommendations if you're unfamiliar with collectible card games, what to get for your friends. And before we get to that, though. Let's talk a little bit about streaming. Uh, we concluded Dynovember. Yeah, Dynovember is over. And it was interesting. <laughs> what we determined about Evolution is that Evolution is definitely the Smash Brothers of board games in terms of friendships. Yeah, it does sort of encourage you. I, I have played games of Evolution, which is what we played on stream last week. I have played games where nobody made any carnivores. But once somebody introduces a carnivore into the mix, that was, you're that was obligated to start eating other people. Yeah, I, I opened that, that Pandora's box and I made a carnivore because I had pulled a lot of support cards for carnivores. And this was the trick is that I hadn't pulled a lot of, I hadn't pulled any long neck stuff. I hadn't pulled any of the cards that let you like give food to your other dinosaurs in a non-carnivore way. But I had pulled a couple of copies of Scavenger. And Scavenger allows you to put food on your cards whenever any carnivore eats. And it's any carnivore. But no one on the board had any carnivores. So here I had these support cards and I didn't have a whole lot of other things. I had things that would make them able to avoid carnivores. But nothing that was helping them eat. And this was my problem. Um, that I, I just didn't have support for anything but carnivorous uh, cards. So I made one of my cards a carnivore because I figured then when my carnivore eats and I looked around, there were a couple of, of creatures that I could prey on. And I figured when my carnivore eats, then my other guys eat, even though they're not themselves carnivores. And that worked out for like what, like two rounds for me that that worked out really well. And then someone took out my carnivore and uh, there were other carnivores out and Andy didn't tell us a key rule. Yeah, that's the other thing that we determined playing this on stream was that I need to do a better job when I'm teaching folks how to play a game 
about explaining the rules. There were two <laughs> rules that, that I miscommunicated or failed to communicate altogether. One being that in your uh, evolution lineup, you have a sort of line of creatures in front of you. If one gets eaten out of the middle, everybody collapses down, and you can only yeah. place things on either it's, end. It's it's not a hole you can fill. The hole gets filled by whatever was next to it. You can only ever place things on the ends. You on in like an empty side, and a hole is not an empty side. It immediately disappears. And this affects the strategy because in evolution, uh, there's a lot of things that involve creatures adjacent to a creature. Right. So it'll say, you know, the creature to the right or creatures to either side. And I held on to cards that were would support something being in the middle, and then it turned out I couldn't do that, and I had already discarded a bunch of cards in order to get a new creature and to bulk up a creature, and that creature ended up starving <laughs> because it couldn't eat. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing that I didn't mention or failed to communicate, I think I mentioned it but um, didn't get it across to the other players, was that you do have the opportunity to ditch traits and replace them with yeah. new traits if you have your maximum of three. So it was uh, a challenging game, but... I think this speaks to a challenge in streaming board games that we've never played before, is that we don't all have time to go through the rule book from cover to cover when we play, and we don't want to spend an enormous amount of time when we're streaming having one person just talk at the rest of us, because I know personally, as someone playing the game, I'm sitting there going, no, I got to learn this as I go. If I if I have to sit here and just listen to someone tell me what to do, I'm losing things as we go, because I'm not seeing them in action. So you can tell me a ton of stuff, and the more you just talk, the 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 more I'm losing out of the beginning of what you said. So, and I, I know that's the same for a lot of people is it's easier to remember it when you see it in action. But I think that means that we need to be good about explaining certain rules as they come up in the game and the person who knows the rules pointing out when something is possible. Um, I think it's also important to know how the point system works and stuff like that. So that's stuff that needs to be set out at the beginning. So that's a learning curve for us. But in general, our board game streams are not about who wins. No. They're not about getting the rules right. We often, often get rules wrong it's, until midway through yeah. and then we're like, oh, wait, this is how that's supposed to work. It's more that you knew that rule and I didn't, and then I kind of wasted a turn because by the time I knew that I couldn't do it, other people had discarded things because we weren't doing it one at a time. We were all doing it at once. So there were other cards in the discard pile, so I couldn't like rewind and take it back. Um, and I didn't feel right about being like, well, I didn't know the rule, so I get to ignore it for this turn when no one else does. I didn't feel right about doing that, so we didn't do it, but then it, it felt a little frustrating to sort of waste an entire turn and a lot of cards to make a creature that was never going to be able to survive because it wasn't placed in a way that could support it. But, um, you know, I think it's it's not about winning. I mean, I've lost most of the games that we've played, but there are a lot of games that I've had fun playing regardless of how well I've done with them. Um, it's not feeling like you're you're missing things because you don't know the rules. We get rules wrong all the time. 
it's not feeling like, oh, I didn't know that rule and I did something really foolish that I now can't fix. Yeah. Yeah. So tonight on stream, if you're listening to this on Friday, the 7th of when November, when we're recording it, we're going to be playing Everdell, which is what I was going to say at the beginning of this whole thing. And I forgot to say is for the month of December, we're doing wish list games. Uh, and for those of us who are on the stream, these are games for the most part, that we've been dying to play for ages. Uh, and Everdell is, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, Everdell is a game that when it arrived on the shelves in the store, I was puzzled that I had not received my Kickstarted copy, mm. only to realize that I had bookmarked the Kickstarter, but never funded it. it. So, yeah, I do now own the game, haven't had a chance to play it, and I'm really looking forward to playing it, probably getting some rules wrong on stream tonight. Um, for anybody unfamiliar with it, it is a worker placement and city building game set in a world of talking animals, and it looks incredibly cute, and I, it just pushes all my buttons. I cannot wait to play this game. So that's what we're going to be playing on stream today. That's at twitch.tv slash battlegroundgameslive. I hope that some folks will join us. It's always more fun when we have folks in chat. And in terms of things going on in the stores, this is a spectacularly busy weekend for events, especially magic events, but yeah. not only magic events. So much. Uh, starting with Friday Night Magic. There's a new set of magic cards coming out today, and... We're going to talk a little bit about this during this podcast. You're going to hear this name over and over and over again. Ultimate Masters arrives in the stores today, and it is a huge, huge deal. One of the things that goes on with Ultimate Masters is whenever a new Masters set comes out, we offer the ability for folks to draft it in the stores. So there's one 100% confirmed draft, and we'll get to that in a couple of moments, but if you want to draft Ultimate Masters this Friday during Friday Night Magic, you need to contact your local battleground. Yeah. The cost for per player for an Ultimate Masters draft is $50. This is because the packs themselves are $14 a pack. So, and yeah, there is value in those packs. There's a reason they're this expensive. They're nonsense. They, these packs are ridiculous. Yeah, the the chances of opening a money card are pretty spectacular, and we'll talk more about that. But that's, for Friday Night Magic, Ultimate Masters drafts are largely fill and fire, which means you have to get eight people together, yep. and you have to all pay in, and then the dra draft fires. If you don't have eight people, there's not really any point in doing it. Yeah. In... Is really the and for other Friday Night Magic news this week, in Norton, they are doing a really exciting thing for their modern tournament. Modern in Norton is, as we've talked about on the podcast, uh, doing very, very well and has a great group of folks who come in to play modern. And they offer some interesting prizes. Last week they did modern for a playset of Moxes. Um, not, I mean... Not like not the banned no, moxes, but, um, but still. 
any mox, any mox is a useful mox. This week, for modern, they're going to be using as prize support unopened Ultimate Masters box toppers. So the box toppers, for those unfamiliar with this, are for modern for Ultimate Masters the buy a box promos. So if you buy a box of Ultimate Masters, inside that box, in a little blue sealed package, uh, is a random card from among the Mythics and Rares. I think there's a couple of uncommons as well. That has extended art, so it looks different from the normal cards. It's exceptionally beautiful foil, of course. And some of these are $300 cards. Mm-hmm. Um, many of them are less. So, for Modern, in the Norton location tonight, FNM, the prizes for Modern are going to be box toppers for Ultimate Masters boxes that we've opened to sell in the store, and we're holding the box toppers aside. So that's exciting. Um, then this weekend, there's pretty much something going on in every store. Well, definitely Saturday is spectacular in every store. So let's let's start in Norton. They have an Ultimate Masters sealed event that begins right when they open. Get there right at opening so that you can sign up for this Ultimate Masters sealed event. The uh, cost of the event is $115. You get six packs of Ultimate Masters. Build yourself an Ultimate Masters sealed deck, and that is going to be a powerful deck. Pool registration is required, so you're going to get a handout that you have to write the, or, you know, indicate how many of each card you've opened, uh, because this is a high-level, high-level event. And that's going to have, as its prizes, dual lands. So if you do well in this sealed event, you have the potential to get yourself some amazing, very good cards. That same day in Abington, for people who don't, aren't into modern, don't have $115 to spend on a sealed event, there's a magic standard preliminary Pro Tour qualifier uh, that starts at 11 a.m. in the Abington location, and that's just $27 to join. And uh, Standard is still a very wide-open format right now, Mm. so there's a variety of interesting decks. We've had uh, pretty good groups of people coming in for Standard Showdown in the Abington location the past few weeks. I anticipate this... Uh, PPTQ being pretty well attended. So test out your standard deck, bring it into the PPTQ, and I'm looking forward to seeing a whole bunch of different decks in play. But what if you're not really into Magic? What if you want to try out a newer game that's kind of hard to get a hold of these days? You can do that. You can do that. In Saugus, at noon, that same day, Saturday, December 8th, they're having a Keyforge sealed tournament for just $15. And the way Keyforge works, we've talked about this on the podcast, every deck is unique. So in a sealed tournament, you get a Keyforge deck as part of your buy-in. And you play that deck. Yep. You can't modify it because you can't modify a Keyforge deck. It's, you can't bring your, your own deck. 
you play whatever deck you get given that day and they're just random and so it's going to come down somewhat to luck like if somebody opens a four horseman deck they're probably going to do well but it's also going to come down to skill because if you have a less good deck but are better at playing it than somebody who opens a stellar deck but doesn't really understand the game you'll probably do well so that that's going to be very interesting uh we have a large slate of keyforge events coming down the pike and this is just the first little taste of it in Saugus. So that's, uh, I think I said, that's at noon on December 8th in Saugus. That same day in Saugus at 7 p.m. is that Ultimate Masters draft that I had mentioned earlier. That is the only scheduled Ultimate Masters draft that we have this weekend. So that's a lot going on on the 8th. And then on the 9th, that Sunday in Abington, we have the same Ultimate Masters sealed event that we had in Norton on the 8th. So again, it's $115, pool registration required, and a chance to win some uh, some dual lands. So pretty spectacular. Uh, we'll come back to Ultimate Masters in a few minutes. Um, I just wanted to cover some of the the other stuff that's going on. So let's talk about new releases in the stores. For some reason, this particular time of the year, we get a sudden massive influx of new releases. How weird. Yeah. How strange, how unexpected. Yeah, so there's a whole bunch of cool stuff on the shelves, and I don't have time to cover all of it in great detail, but just a quick taste for our listeners. Uh, there's some great expansions that have hit the shelves. There's a new expansion for Seven Wonders yep. that's the Armada expansion. Um, Seven Wonders has had a number of expansions that add various things to the game. Some of them just add new cards to the game. Uh, there was the Seven Wonders Leaders expansion. There was Seven Wonders Cities expansion. Um, some of them add whole new gameplay that changed the way the game plays. There was the Seven Wonders Babel expansion, which got mediocre reviews. I still want to play it, but it didn't, people didn't really enjoy it as much because it completely changed the game. Armada is another attempt at a similar thing where it very much changes the game. You're still doing the drafting to build your wonders, but at the same time, there's a second board that has uh, sort of a C where you build your fleet uh, so it sort of expands on the Seven Wonders military goals and offers you more things to do in Seven Wonders, which I think I've probably mentioned is a game I really enjoy. That's a fun game. For fans of board games, of uh, sort of Euro-style board games, there's a new Terraforming Mars expansion, the Colonies expansion. Uh, which introduces a whole bunch more stuff to Terraforming Mars. So these are expansions that require you to have the base game in order to play them. Yeah. There's also a new version of Pandemic that just came out. Pandemic is one of those games where, at this point, it's kind of a classic. Yeah. And everyone knows it. 
And if you've never played it, you've probably still heard of it. You have, you know, someone who loves it. Um, and it has a lot of different versions out there. There are a lot of different like expansions and like there's a uh, Iberia, which is a different time period, which is really interesting. I'm pretty sure. Right. Yeah. Um, and then there are the legacy versions and there's two different legacy versions now. And each of those legacy versions has a different box, has two different boxes. So yeah, pandemic has a lot of permutations. And so, and there's, I, there's a lot you can do with pandemic. There's even like a Cthulhu-y version of pandemic. There's a lot of different ways you can approach pandemic as a game. Um, just because as a base premise, it has a lot of potential. Yeah. So all the pandemic games are basically, the same mechanics in that they are a group of players cooperatively working to defeat something. And it has gone from, you know, just defeating a disease with the original pandemic and the Iberia Peninsula pandemic, defeating rising sea levels with rising tide, right. defeating Cthulhu with pandemic yeah, Cthulhu. An creature. The new pandemic, which is a standalone, it doesn't yeah. require you to have any of the other games. The new pandemic is Pandemic Fall of Rome, mm. where you are cooperatively trying to determine what happens to the world when the dominant empire collapses. It's a interesting twist on the pandemic sort of mode of play. It's just definitely not your typical pandemic game. And like, the, I mean, the basic text for the ad for the game was, can you even stop it? So you could try to stop Rome from falling, I guess. Yeah, it's, I, it's a new direction. Not, no, right? you can't. <laughs> it, it's a new direction for the franchise, and that's fascinating. Uh, I think some folks were playing it during board game night Thursday. Uh, so I have not gotten any reviews from players in the store yet, because it just arrived on shelves yesterday, but I'm, certainly interested in it as a new pandemic game another game which was not even on my radar that just came out this week is one that my brother wants to play with us possibly as a family game night treasure island mm. which is a hidden information game and we've played a few of these yeah. scotland yard classic hidden information game where one person is trying to escape from a bunch of detectives yeah. trying to hunt them down last and friday. last friday which we played on stream uh last year last year yeah, yeah year it's ago. been more than a year now um mysterium yep so these are all games where one person has information and is either trying to give it to other people or is trying to prevent other people from getting it treasure island uh has a similar mechanic but expands on it a bit. In Treasure Island, one person is Long John Silver, who knows where the treasure is hidden, and the other players are attempting to get the treasure, but not completely cooperatively. So they get clues and stuff, and they each have a hidden map where they can mark their notion of where the treasure is. That's cool. And they each receive different information. So sort of a combination of Clue and um, Last Friday or uh, Scotland Yard. It's a, a fascinating concept for a game, and I, I very much do want to try it out. 
Another new release that just hit the shelves this week is Robin Hood and the Merry Men. And this is a game that sounds like it throws everything at the wall. It is a semi-cooperative worker placement game that uses like every buzzword you hear in board game. Amanda, why don't you try and look it up and read the the blurb on it. Um, So by semi-cooperative, people will be familiar with mostly cooperative games that have a non-cooperative bit to them. Yeah. So people who played Battlestar Galactica or The Thing... There's a a wide variety of these trader mechanic games that are semi-cooperative. Robin Hood and the Merry Men, everybody is playing a member of the Band of Merry Men, but everybody has a separate sort of of win-con. Yeah. And just, it sounds interesting, but it also sounds like there is a lot going on in this game. Uh... So, sort of Eurogamery, but it looks more, like, American. Um, it looks like it's round-based. It looks like that there are, there's, like, an onslaught from the Sheriff of Nottingham, and you have to sort of fend him off five times. So you do have to work together against the sort of, against the game itself, but you also want to come out on top. You want to be the one who did the most to keep the Sheriff of Nottingham off your back. So yeah, that that sounds like an interesting game, and I love this time of year. There's just so much coming out. Um, and it does look like there are a lot of ways to do that. There's all sorts of like mini quests and objectives to be doing to gain points while you're also working towards the objective of fending off the Sheriff of Nottingham. So I... M- just not having touched it, not having played it, not having seen it, and just reading that basic description, um, I would assume that there's probably a balancing act between going off and doing great deeds and getting points that way, but also being a part of the like fight to fight off the sheriff. Because if you're not doing anything to help fight off the sheriff, you're not gaining points in that way. So you've got to be able to balance both. So that's that's interesting. I'm curious about that. Yeah, it's one of those games that, again, was not on my radar. But having, you know, read the box and seen some stuff about it online, now I'm like, wow, there's a lot going on there, but I still want to try it out. And while we're on the subject of new releases, although this is not something that came out this week... Amanda did want to talk about Fallout New California because this is a game, this is an expansion that is very dear to Amanda's heart. (laughs) Uh, You will recall, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, that for Extra Life, Amanda painted up a set of the original Fallout board game from Fantasy Flight as one of the Extra Life prizes. This was the second set of Fallout, the board game that she had painted up, and we have played... A fair amount of that game. And I touched on it briefly last week, but Amanda, tell us a little bit about what's in the expansion. So New California is interesting in that it is, it's introducing both expanded stuff on the base game 
and brand new scenarios. So what I find really cool about this is that we have two brand new scenarios to play. So if you've played the original Fallout board game, the Fantasy Flight board game, you played um, the Far Harbor expansion, you paid, played Commonwealth, Capital, the Pit, and those all have in this box expanded versions of those scenarios and those maps that use the tiles. There are the large hex tiles that you use in the base game. There are more of those hex tiles in this expansion, and the game gives you a way to make the map for each of those ex- um, those scenarios bigger and like more difficult, which I find really cool. And it does tell you, I mean, I'm looking at the Far Harbor one right now, and I've played the Far Harbor uh, expansion solo. I did that as a solo run-through. And it's very similar, but the map is definitely much bigger. And you're you're including in a lot of the tiles from the expansion. So it has expanded versions of all four of the original base game scenarios. And then you have two new scenarios. And this is where the New California stuff comes in, which I'm really excited about. So you have New California as an expansion, and you have Rise of the Master. Now, Rise of the Master is very similar in terms of how it works to the base game. It's a uh, a scenario with two different factions. You've got the Unity and the Brotherhood of Steel. And those two different factions are trying to vie for the most influence over the wasteland. New California, on the other hand, is a brand new way of playing. And this is a way of playing that is very similar to the co-op way of playing that Andy and my friends and I had come up with to play the base game. And I'm really excited to see how they built in a co-op version of the game. So New California, it has you setting up by staging certain uh, cards from the deck, just like the base game does. But instead of creating an agenda deck where you're, you're trying to advance opposing forces, you create the agenda deck with all the agenda cards and you don't draw agendas during the setup. And then, um, it's you against the game. So your token is the faction that's trying, you're trying to advance to the end. And then the game is the enclave and you're trying, they're trying to reach it before you do. And certain things will advance the enclave. And if you're not gaining influence, then the enclave is gaining influence. So, um, but the idea is that every player can work on advancing that influence track. You don't have to do it, um, as sort of a single player. You're doing it as a group, which I think is really cool. I don't know the story for it yet. Like I, I haven't looked through the story cards for it because I'd kind of like the first time I play it to be the first time I see those story cards. I don't want to spoil myself. Uh, I'm not someone who cares much about spoilers when it comes to TV shows and movies. If I know what I'm in for when um, I get emotionally invested in something, then that that's fine by me. But for a game like this, I don't want to be spoiled in terms of which decisions to make when it comes to a a quest card. If the card is letting me pick two different paths, I want to be able to pick a path based on how I feel in the moment, not based on um, I know what the story is doing. 
So while I do know that these are, um, I mean, Rise of the Masters obviously taken out of the earlier uh, Fallout games, I would guess that New California has also done that. Um, just because it's West Coast based and the Fallout 1 and 2 were more West Coast. So I know that it's probably drawing off of that. And that's awesome. That's super. Um, However, in addition to that, the game also comes with a number, like I, I said, it does have its own deck of story cards and settlement cards and all of that. It has a whole new deck of equipment cards. So I'm seeing things like rocket launchers and flamers and companions from uh, the other games, which is really cool. And it also has, let's see, I see a Tesla rifle. That's nice. Uh, Some more perk cards, which are always good. Perk cards are super useful. And there are some new... um, new tokens, new player tokens to play as. So we've got a whole bunch of new characters that you can play. And that's really, really awesome to me. Um, I was looking to see if they had their own little little character cards. Because I thought they always did. But um, anyway, we've got um, a Mr. Handy. <laughs> you can play as a Mr. Handy. Um, so I guess... The Mr. Handy card, it looks like, has two starting cards, it says. Andy, would you do me a favor and find me some of those cards? Um, And then we've got... I believe there's supposed to be, like, a Bounty Hunter is specifically one of these. And then we've got, an, uh, I believe, an NCR soldier. And a... uh, I believe... Is this supposed to be an Enclave... Yeah. Suit of power armor. It's a fancy power armor. Yeah, it's advanced power armor. Um, this is, it looks, it's like XO1 type stuff. The, the helmet is more, um, uh, streamlined and sleek as opposed to the, uh, sort of bumpier helmets in, uh, the, like, T60 and T45. Um, so yeah, those are the Mr. Handy. Mr. Handy comes with a survivor identity of Mr. Handy robot, but also has modular expolating or exoplating, sorry, um, which is a, a special armor that you get um, to have. So yeah, okay, there's a caravan merchant and a lone gunslinger. You find the other cards that have identity backs. Um, so yeah, I just want to give you the specifics for what you get with each character. I hadn't pulled them out yet. Um, so we have the NCR Ranger gets to start with a Wasteland map, which is nice. The Enclave Deserter gets the Advanced Power Armor. The Lone Gunslinger gets a trusty sidearm. It looks like a Nuka Zapper. Um, the Mr. Handy gets two cards, and then the Caravan Merchant gets Lady Butterheart, a companion Brahmin, um, which means that you start with some more caps, and you get to shop more. You get to do more trading and shopping. So yeah, new characters to play, and I would assume you could play these with the base game, because the game comes with those expanded maps for the base game, so the game is built for you to be able to use these characters with those original uh, quests. So yeah, I'm really happy with it. I love that it it's come with um, new tiles 
I love that it's come with ways to expand and make the original game uh, more challenging or more interesting. And I love that it has the co-op rules. The co-op rules are written in the little rulebook and also has a quick reference guide on the back of the New California Quest. So it has cooperative play quick reference, um, which I think is very cool. So I'm excited to try out that co-op mode. It's definitely something I'm looking forward to. I'm hoping to play this on my birthday, which is coming up. Uh, last year I did a an all-day game stream for my birthday. I'm hoping to do something similar this year. Um, there was a, a joke that we would do 40 for 40 because I'm turning 40 this year. I'm not going to be able to I doubt I'll get 40 games in even over the course of a weekend, but we'll, we're going to play a whole bunch of different things. So that will be coming up closer to Christmas, uh, like the weekend before Christmas. So yeah, I'm just really excited about New California and I really just wanted to talk a little bit about what's in the box and what it's got and what, what makes it special. So those are just some quick highlights of some of the things that came out this week. There's a lot more on the shelves. I highly recommend you come on in. Check out the shelves. See if there's anything that appeals to you. Uh, in the meantime, I think we're going to take a short break. Yeah. Get yourselves a drink or a snack. When we return, we're going to do our holiday gift, gar- uh, gift guide for card games. And there's a lot to talk about. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. And welcome back from the break, everybody. Uh, We are in the second half of the program, and now we wanted to talk about what recommendations we have for you if you are planning to purchase some card game gifts for your gift recipient this year. And to start out with, um, there's a couple of things I wanted to say about card games. The first is something that we're going to say in probably every one of these episodes, which is know your recipient. It's essential that you know what kind of game they're into before you go buying them games as gifts. Um, Especially with card games. Because if you have somebody who plays Yu-Gi-Oh! and you buy them magic cards, that's not going to go great. That's not really going to help them much. No. um, And it's probably worth asking someone that you know what games they're into. And also, what types of, like, events they play in or how they play. Because that's also going to make a huge difference in what you get. Someone who is hanging out with friends at home and playing kitchen table magic is not going to want or need the same cards as a modern player. Or even a, like, player who comes into draft. Those are very different ways to play magic. If someone, you know, that you talk to, if you know nothing about magic, and certainly we talk a lot about magic on this podcast because it is the, you know, the big card game and it's huge here in the store. But if you don't know magic, then 
it's very easy to not realize just how many different ways there are to play the game. And not being like a Yu-Gi-Oh player or a Pokemon player, I would assume that there are also other ways to play those games, just because I know that that's true for Magic. So it's probably a good idea for whoever you're buying a gift for to like just ask, hey, when you play Magic, what exactly, you know, are you playing? Do you go and play in tournaments? Are you using new cards? Are you using old cards? You know, is there something you're you're working on? Um, and I would assume that that's the same for every other collectible card game. The only one that I would say is probably a bit different is Keyforge. And that's because you aren't doing, like, modded decks in the same way that Magic does. The other thing I wanted to mention for as a holiday gift guide recommendation for getting card games is card games are an excellent gift. They're so much easier than board games or other games because even if the person you're buying for has bought that same exact type of game over and over and over and over and over for collectible card games, it doesn't matter. There's still going to be cards they don't have. There's still going to be stuff they want. And opening the packs is part of the fun. And even if they do own a copy of that card, at least in Magic, playsets are a thing. And you could be giving them a pack that has that last card that they needed for the playset that goes in their deck. Or you could, you know, give them that card that they needed to complete their cube. Um, there's so many ways to, like, go in on card games in a way that like won't break the bank, but that also will be a lot of fun for the person that you're giving it to. And let's face it, magic packs and other card packs make really great stocking stuffers specifically. I guarantee you there will be packs of magic and Andy's stocking this year. And I am almost 100% certain that there will probably be some in mine as well. <laughs> it tends to happen. Because that happens every year. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, uh, did we do, we did un- yeah boosters last year yeah for each other which was awesome because we never really got a chance to play no. but, but yeah was it fun to those are them. great cards um so yeah it's hard to buy something that they don't really want if you're buying in the right type of set for them so just ask Ask the person that you're buying for um, – you don't have to tell them, I'm going to buy you boosters of this set. But just ask, you know, what sorts of things are, are you playing these days? Are you playing the same deck you've been playing? You know, are you playing with friends? Are you playing in tournaments? What You know, what sorts of things are you doing? Because then even if you don't know what that means in terms of what to buy, when you go into a store, when you come into Battleground and you walk up to the counter and say – Hey, so a friend of mine or my kid or, you know, whatever is looking to put together what they, they said it was a cube or they're doing this type of deck. The person behind the counter can then help you pick something out, pick the packs for the right sets for what they're looking for or a, a single or whatever for what they're, the person you're buying for wants. But if you know what they're doing, the person who works here can help you make that matter. Yeah. So, yeah, just ask. That's important. Another thing to know, and this is where we'll help you out here in this podcast, is what is current. So, most card games, and 
certainly the ones that we'll be talking about today, all run on sort of a cycle. New stuff comes out, old stuff becomes less relevant as new stuff arrives on the shelves. And as a gift giver, if you don't know as much about that particular card game as the person you're buying for, there's the possibility of getting stuff that they already own or, you know, older stuff that they don't need anymore. So if you're buying packs as stocking stuffers or whatever, I would generally recommend, and this is not 100% accurate, but generally get the newest sets that are available. And I'll tell you specifically what those are. In the case of Pokemon, which is, you know, one of the big card games that we have around these days, there's Lost Thunder, which just came out a couple weeks ago, or uh, maybe a month ago. It's been out for a little while, but it's not super old yet. Uh, in Yu-Gi-Oh! Hidden Summoners just came out in November, so that's the newest set in Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, in Keyforge, well, the whole game just came out yeah. for the first time, like, a couple weeks ago, yeah. so everything is new. Anything you get for Keyforge will make a Keyforge player happy. Yeah, if you can actually get your hands on Keyforge, it's hard to find it in stores, even. Uh, we have some now, in, I believe, all three locations. So, now's your chance, if you're listening to this on Friday, to get some Keyforge for your friends before it disappears again. Um, and in Magic... The most recent of the regular sets is Guilds of Ravnica. So if you come into the store and you say, I want some Guilds of Ravnica, you're getting the most current set for your recipients. And then there's Ultimate Masters in Magic, which if you've been listening to this podcast, you've probably heard that name a couple of times. Amanda, <laughs> you were looking through some of the spoilers I and was. shaking your head in disbelief. <laughs> Uh, did you want to share with our listeners why Ultimate Masters is perhaps the most, like, unbelievable set of magic ever, and why these packs are $14 a pack? Where do I even start? How do I begin here? I could begin with the box toppers. Sure. Let's start there. Let's begin with the nonsense. So, um, as we mentioned, these we mentioned the box toppers earlier. Um, the box toppers are sort of the buy a box promo, but instead of everyone getting the same buy a box promo that sort of comes like in a card sleeve taped to the box, um, you're going to get a card in a sealed pack inside the box. These come pre-packed with the boxes and they're random. They're not the same card with everything. So it's not like every single person is getting a demonic tutor. No, but you could. You could get a demonic tutor. You know what else you could get? A Andy, you know what else you can get? Could you get some Eldrazi? You could. You you could. You could do that. You could get a Kozilek, Butcher of Truth. You could get an Ulamog, the Infinite Dryer. Or you could get Emrakul. You could get Emrakul. Um, you can also get a Karn. Uh, Karn Liberated is in there. Snapcaster's in there. Lily of the Veil is in there. Um, Bitter Blossom. There's there's so much nonsense that you could get as a box topper. Um, and it looks like there's sort of a bunch for each color. Not as much for blue as for some of the other colors, but one of them is Snapcaster and the other is Temporal Manipulation. Um, 
but then for like green, you've got Noble Hierarch, you've got Tarmogoyf. Um, then there's a bunch of multicolored ones that look really good. You've got Sigarda, um, like the non, uh, Meldy Sigarda, <laughs> the actual like regular Sigarda. Um, it, you've got a bunch of lands here. You've got Urborg, you've got, uh, Caracas, Cavern of Souls. Cavern of Souls is always useful. Um, it, there's so many good cards just in the box toppers. You're going to get one of these if you get a box. If you open a box of these, you will get one of these amazing cards. That's a given because they come with the box. Um, but then in the packs, there's so many other things. Like I, like I said, I don't even know where to start because as I was looking through this list, I was like, oh yeah, that's there. Okay, that, okay, yeah, that, that's there. Okay, yeah. Okay. Um, so like I said, you've got like Snapcaster, you've got Bitter Blossom, you've got Lily of the Veil, you've got Tarmogoyf, um, Micaeus the Unhallowed. I love that card. Um, you've got Dig Through Time, Bridge from Below. Bridge from Below. I, didn't you play with that when I thought I you had a deck? I never had a bridge deck. I really? Know, I tried. You had a zombie deck at oh, one yeah. point, and I think you tossed Bridge in there because yeah. it, it deals with zombies. Um, there's just so much in here. There's angels, there's elementals, there's avatars, there's become immense, you know, just, just in case you really want something to be very, very large. There's Tassiger in here. I love Tassiger. He's, he's such a brat. Um, there's some Umbras. There's, yeah, I think they did like a whole bunch of the Umbras. Um, and then there's a whole pile of good lands. This set is ridiculous. It's absolute nonsense. And I'm really, really impressed with it. I mean, it's called Ultimate Masters. So you would hope that they would pull out all the stops for that. I know a lot of people weren't as thrilled with Iconic Masters um, because the word Iconic carries a certain um, weight to it and a certain set of expectations that to the people creating the set at Wizards, they meant it one way. And people who heard the name and didn't know what was going to be in it yet assumed it would mean another way. Yeah, they should have called it Tribal Masters, yeah. and people would have expected what they got. Yeah. That was... Calling, yeah. it I calling it iconic meant that people were expecting iconic cards, not iconic tribes. And so there was a, a bit of a letdown there. But when you call something Ultimate Masters, you kind of need to have it be an unbelievable set, and this really is. Yeah, this is Ultimate Masters. So, Wow. Yeah, just oh, so wow. Many, so many good cards. So, so much. I think you could not go wrong getting some Ultimate Masters packs for yeah. a Magic player. I, it's just, just like a it's going to be huge, two, huge. You're probably going to open something, even like, like I said, a pack or two in the stocking, or as like just a random gift, um, would not go amiss because a commander player is going to find something they want in here a modern player is going to find something they want in here 
And even a standard player, they're not going to find necessarily standard legal cards, but they're going to find good cards for something like a trade later. So there's no reason not to sort of look to Ultimate Masters as a potential good gift. And the other thing I wanted to say about collectible card game gifts is something Amanda touched on, knowing what level or what type of game your recipient is into definitely sort of segues into what type of gift you're going to be giving them. Uh, we'll talk specifically about magic because magic has done a lot to um, enfranchise players to give them different options, to give them different levels of play. So we have the junior planeswalkers at battleground which is sort of free casual magic for younger players who are getting into the game. If you are giving gifts to somebody who's brand new to magic, what do you get for them? Well, they are uh, the Planeswalker decks, which are fully built, standard legal 60-card decks that have a Planeswalker, which is a type of magic card that's always fun to play with, yep. and have at least one card in that deck that helps you tutor for your Planeswalker. Which is good. So you have more chances to play with it. So those are a great starting set. They just released a new product called the Spellslinger decks, mm -hmm. which are a... It's sort of like the dual decks, but less um, less hardcore. Yeah. The dual decks are a product that Wizards has had for ages that are two decks very, very well balanced against each other, and they're sort of kitchen table decks. They're not, yeah. you know, modern staple cards. They're not standard legal. They're good decks for learning some of the older mechanics for Magic and playing competitive games with a friend. And they're going to introduce you to how colors interact together. Um, both most, not all, but many of the dual decks are two-color decks. Not all of them are, but a, a number of them are. But even still, if you're not playing a two-color deck, you're going to be playing against a different color. And so that gives you an idea of how the colors interact against each other because they're built to be balanced. You're not sitting down with someone who picked a random color. You're sitting down with someone who's picking a deck that was chosen to go against the deck that you're playing against. So that also gives you a good um, practice for how to answer a color that you might have otherwise struggled with. Yeah, I really enjoy those decks. And I think they're, you know, if you're not immediately taking them apart, they're a great way to get a product that you can just sit down with and play. And these Spellslinger decks are in that mold, but intended for new players. So they're sort of like the equivalent of a meld between the dual decks and the Planeswalker decks. They're a perfect starting point because they'll teach you a lot about how Magic plays. Uh, they actually, this is something Magic has done for ages and it's a little bit silly, but they actually have rules for playing your first game with them without shuffling them so that you're introduced to the mechanics in a particular order. And then you can just shuffle them and play them after that. Which does remind me of that how to learn how to play magic set that was released ages and ages ago with the uh, beefy blue beatdown deck. Yeah, I actually have a copy of that somewhere. I've yeah. never opened it. Uh, anyways, so those are good starting uh, things you can get. Uh, exclusive to Battleground, 
we have the standard thousand count boxes, which if you come in and ask, they should be in all three locations. This is something we actually build in house. It's a thousand cards, all legal and standard format, which is the most recent cards, uh, all, um, just sort of random, but a thousand cards and at least 15 rare or mythic or foil cards in that box. So it's not, you know, super desirable cards, but it's a great way to get an instant collection and start building. I, when Amanda and I got back into magic, we bought one of these boxes. Um, and it, it definitely helps you get an idea of what's available for you to buy. And it's just a fun thing to go through. So those are something you can get to start out for new magic players. There's just a lot of options. So I'd say, and this is what I said last week, your biggest resource is us, the employees, not Amanda, because she's not an employee, but me and anybody else who is behind the counter, we are the people who are here to help you out. We are the people who know the games. Come on in and ask us, and we will be able to help you with recommendations. Uh, But I hope this podcast has been helpful for you. And again, I'm going to reiterate what I said at the end of last week's podcast and what I think I'll probably say for the remainder of this month, which is the biggest gift that you can give to your game-playing friend is playing a game with them. Yeah. Yeah, sit down, play a game. Even if you've never played Magic before, if you know someone who's re- who really wants to get into the game and they don't have anyone to play with yet or they're nervous about coming into the store and playing in a tournament or even a casual event, sit down and play a, a practice game with them. Learn how to play it together. Or if they've just gotten a new board game, you know, make make some time one day to sit down and play it together. Because the greatest gift is the gift giver. So, yeah, and the game itself. (laughs) So, yeah, have fun, everybody. I hope this episode was helpful to you, and we'll be back again next week with more game recommendations for the season. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks. Bye.